Um, I grew up in um, kind of a rural part of South Carolina. I don't think, don't think like way rural. We did have three red lights in my hometown. So, you know, we had some stuff. Um, but on my road in the suburb of Airwood, just outside Chesney, um, we were surrounded by peach trees. Pretty much everywhere you look, there were peach trees. In fact, if you know anyone from Georgia, you can share this little secret with them that, that actually South Carolina produces more peaches than Georgia. Just a little, little thing you may not have known. But outside across the road, you would see these peach trees, and at first there would be flowers on the peach trees that would ultimately turn into peaches. And there were always these issues that the farmers faced that threatened their crop. You know, it wasn't just automatic that you just put the tree out there and they're going to have peaches, but you have to tend to them. And then you also have to worry about certain pests that might come in and mess up the crop or too much water or not enough water. Or what usually ended up being the problem was a late freeze. You might notice that almost every time, every year around Easter, you get a freeze. And if that thing comes a little bit too late, all those peach trees, all that work, all that effort could be for naught. Right? And, and I'll have to admit to you that I was probably a city boy growing up in the country. Um, I was not the first one to want to jump out um, into the field and farm. In fact, my parents had a pretty big garden behind our house. I'm not sure that I ever worked there. Uh, my nephew, Bryson, loved it. I have this picture of him growing up, of him out there with his John Deere hat on, and he was like all about it. But I'm more of a, I'm more of a local grocery store kind of guy. I like for somebody else to work hard, and I swing by and get the fruit of their labor on the way in. But I know enough to know about farming that, that it's hard, that there are always threats to what you hope the crop will produce. And part of the farmer's job is to make sure that, that he or she and that team does all they can to ensure that they overcome all these obstacles so that you and I can enjoy the fruits of their labor. And all throughout Scripture, the Lord speaks to us in images that we can understand. He speaks the secrets for the meaning of the kingdom to us using illustrations that we can wrap our mind around. And one of probably the most frequent ones we see both from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament is this imagery of producing fruit, of crops yielding what they're supposed to yield. And it's this imagery of God's people in recognition of all that God's done for us and all that he's given us, us responding with the, the growth that's appropriate for God's people. <clears throat> I think about passages like Psalm 1, um, where he talks about the blessed person who delights in God's law, they're like a what, you know? Like a tree planted by streams of water and they yield their fruit in season. That passage that I read to you from Philippians where Paul prays that the Philippians' love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, that they might approve what is excellent and so do what? Bear fruit. But just like it's not a given that crops are going to ultimately be yielded from the plants. It's also not a given that you and I, as followers of Christ, are going to yield fruit for God's kingdom. That there are all these obstacles in the way of you and me being fruitful Christians like God would have us to be. And some of those are front and center in 
the parable of the sower that we're looking at today. Now, Jesus has a lot of people um, hanging out around him. And in response to the crowds that are around him, Luke says that he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. And he begins to teach them using this parable of the sower. And he says, the sower went out to sow seed, and he cast his seed everywhere. Now, I don't think outside of maybe elementary school I've ever grown anything from a seed. Like any tomatoes that came from the spawn house, somebody got that seed to a plant for us. But if you ever tried to grow something from a seed, it is not an easy task. But he says he goes out and he scatters the seeds, and the seeds fall on all these different types of soil. And the first soil that it falls on is beside the road where it's been packed down and it's hard. Right? And I know enough about farming and gardening that, that you've got to have good soil and the seed's got to make its way down into the soil so that it can grow. And Jesus says, this first seed is the seed that fell on the path. And there was no growth in it because the soil was hard. And there may be a point in your life when you were around the things of God and you heard the gospel a lot. But it never grew in your life because in that point, your heart wasn't soft enough to receive it to then grow. And then he said, there are other seeds um, that fell among the rocks. So you can kind of picture a thin layer of soil and maybe rock underneath it. And the seeds that fall there, they grow pretty quickly, in part because the soil heats up fast. And so it produces this initial growth, and it looks promising. Um, I have in the past tried to grow grass in my yard from seed, and it initially comes up. And there is this, like, pride almost and this excitement, like, here we go. Here comes the grass we've all been longing for. Visions of me running across it with my bare feet. It's going to be wonderful. And then in time, what happens? The hot Alabama sun exposes it, right? But the roots are not established and there is not growth. And so ultimately it passes away because Jesus says this growth this initial growth in this rocky soil, ultimately is shown to not be legitimate, lasting growth because of the trials that these people face. I told you before that I'm reading a lot of St. Augustine right now, and I'm reading his book, The City of God. And City of God starts out as this defense of Christianity. So Rome has been sacked, and all the people who are in Rome are kind of saying, we know what's wrong, it's all those Christians if all those Christians were worshiping our Roman gods, then none of this would have happened. And so Augustine is writing a defense of Christianity in that kind of environment. And he kind of shows the, the fallacy of such thinking. But then he also touches on the state of the Christians in Rome who lost everything. Now, I want you to think for a moment about your family and what you have. And I want you to think for a moment of what it would be like, perhaps if you were in Hawaii. And everything in a moment that you owned was just gone. What kind of response would you have at that moment in your faith? I was thinking about that this week as I was thinking about Augustine's writings and I was thinking about my own faith and where my hope is placed. And I really think that, that for me, um, I, I can't be 
um, the Holy Spirit in your life. Only he can. But for me, as I was thinking about that in my own heart and life, there was this recognition that, that I think I still value things more than I value the Lord in my life at points. And there's this real purifying thing that the Lord can do in our life when he helps us see rightly what things we value and what things we don't and what our response would be if we were to lose all those things. But Augustine writes that all those Christians who lost all their worldly possessions, he, he kind of asks this question, what did they ultimately lose? They didn't lose their faith. They didn't lose Christ. They didn't lose their inheritance that they would have in the life to come. And, and you all, I've been part of a generation that's faced very little hardship in our lives. Very little real hardship. And it makes me think about what it looks like for us. And is there a maturity in our faith that would last and that would sustain us even in the midst of really difficult and hard times? And so Jesus says there's some fruit that it comes up and it looks promising, but when hard times come through, people turn away and they go their own way. And then there's this last, well, next to last seed, the seed that fell among thorns. And this is the seed ultimately that, that I feel like I relate to the most and it's always been the most convicting to me as I work through it. It's the seed that fell among thorns and this is, what, this is what Jesus says and how he explains it. He says, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. They're distracted by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now, I say that that's the one that I identify with the most and struggle with the most because um, it's just the case that, that you and I oftentimes, we're not going to be distracted so much by things that are obviously bad, but you and I are more likely to fail to bear fruit for God's kingdom because we are so distracted and so busy chasing things that might be considered good things, but there's not enough room left over for primary important things in our life. We're chasing after a lot of things that are maybe good things, pleasurable things in life, but in our pursuit of those things, there's not enough time and effort and attention to yield to ultimate, eternal, important things. I'll give you a, um, an example from my first world problem life. Um, I have a TV outside. I like to watch sports on it primarily. Uh, guess what's happened to that TV? It's failing. Those old big tube TVs would never fail. You know, if you have one of those, like, if you had a big TV, the problem is that it's always going to work. You can never replace it. But I had this TV outside, and it's not that I can't see anything, but the colors starting to look kind of funky, you know. And my initial thought was, well, we got to do what? we got to replace that TV, right? Now, again, this is a world scheme problems like tiny problems. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe we should just get a new one. And one night we were at dinner as a family, and... This um, 
letter had come in from this organization, and there's this one kid that we kind of helped support some through an organization, and it was his birthday recently, and he had been given a little gift, an extra for his birthday, some money. What do you, what do you think he got with his birthday money? He got a suitcase. Now, originally, you might think, well, maybe he got a suitcase to take a trip. Maybe he was going somewhere. But no, he got a suitcase so he could keep his clothes somewhere at home. And as I reflected upon his life and that experience, and I reflected upon my life and my experience, and there's this real struggle and this real kind of wrestling to say, am I distracted by things that are good, pleasurable, interesting things in life? And in my pursuit of all of that, am I neglecting things that are of more ultimate importance for other people? And you could kind of think about your own life on those different levels of of how it is that you're investing the time you have or the money that God's entrusted to you or the talents that God's given you and start thinking about where are you stewarding all of those things and is there enough time left over for you to invest in eternal important things that God's called us to um, as a church and as individuals. This last Wednesday, we had a church-wide meeting about the building. We also had a finance committee meeting before that at 4.30. There was a lot of conversation about money and finances and how we steward and are we doing. And, And you all are blessed to have a lot of smart people working in those areas. Um, You can go to bed tonight grateful that your pastor is not ultimately um, in charge of thinking about the economy moving forward and yields and all this kind of stuff. That's not, I'm not my strong suit. But as I'm in there and participating with that group, I just kind of say, hey, for for me, the biggest issue is it's a spiritual issue for us. It's how how we value things in life and how we steward them for God's kingdom, because I it would just be real transparent with you. I don't think ultimately money will be the problem for Mount Hood Baptist Church. I just don't. I think the deeper question will be, are our hearts yielded to the things of ultimate purpose so that we steward what God's entrusted to us to further his kingdom? That, that's where I think the, the harder part will come in for you and for me as we move forward in what God's called us to do and to be. As I've thought about this parable and I've thought about who God's calling me to be as his follower and to steward what he's entrusted to me, um, it's really made me think a lot about what's ultimately most important and what's ultimately things in this life that will satisfy me the most and where I should spend and leverage the most of my time. And it's just the case that, that choices are involved. Um, I mentioned to you that if I could go back to school, I think I would study economics. Um, but they call it the dismal science. Do you know why? Because it's just the hard facts of you only have so much and what are you going to do with it? And our hearts are prone to just want more, correct? But the reality is if you put more over here, you have less to do what? Put over here. 
And, and the Lord is calling us as faithful disciples to become more of that good and noble soil. And how do you do that? The only way that I think you get there is that you value God and all that he's done for you in Christ to the point that when you compare that to other things, this becomes supremely valuable in your life. And the things that you were once attracted to lose some of their luster for you. And you're freed up to steward what God's entrusted to you, not because you're wonderful and not because you're sacrificing and not because, but because you're starting to live in a way that's logical in light of what's ultimately supremely valuable. So I think about that little boy that's growing up halfway across the world. And he and I are different in so many ways. And our experience of life is different in so many ways. But the one thing that he and I have in common is that one day he's going to pass from this life. And one day I'm going to pass from this life. And both of us share the same thing for all of eternity. That his inheritance in Christ is the same as my inheritance in Christ. That ultimately what's going to satisfy his heart is what's going to satisfy my heart. And if God is at work in me now to start living into that future hope and reality, then I think I will become the kind of soil that produces more fruit and more growth for God's kingdom in this world. So I invite you to be praying about that um, in your own life, that God would give you a sense of his value of things, that you become more and more the kind of soil that produces growth for God's kingdom that lasts long after your life is gone. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we thank you for speaking truth to us because you love us, And Lord, you know how precious our lives are. You know how precious our time is on this earth. So you're kind enough to help us to see what's ultimately valuable. And we pray that you would would free us up to value you above all things and that you would give us loose hands with the stuff that you've entrusted to us, not just for our good, but for the good of your kingdom so that more people might experience abundant and eternal life in Jesus Christ. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.